Today's uh, scripture passage is Acts 11, 1 through 18, starting at the bottom of page 919, if you're following along in the Pew Bibles and continuing on to the next page. Uh, Now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven. Sorry, pages are stuck together. By its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. Thanks, Patrick. Well, we continue to look at this pivotal moment in Acts. We began to look at it last week. Not only is the gospel clearly on the move toward the ends of the earth, and for those that are newer to our our series here, our study here, in Acts 1-8, one of the most famous verses in, in all of the New Testament, one of Christ's commissions, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you in power in Jerusalem, that's where they were, throughout Judea, that's the region, even into Samaria, a place they wouldn't often go, and to the ends of the earth. That's the commission Jesus gives. Acts essentially follows that outline as Luke records it. The ministry begins in Jerusalem in power as the Holy Spirit comes through persecution, primarily from Saul. It scatters even into Samaria as Philip goes and preaches in Samaria, and there's a harvest there. Throughout Judea, the surrounding region, so Lydda and Joppa, where Peter is now going to visit these other cities throughout Judea, even to the ends of the earth. And really, the the back half of Acts focuses on that as Paul and Barnabas and Silas go on mission and ministry to the ends of the earth. So we see that here. This is a pivotal moment, Acts 10 and 11, so significant that Luke records it twice. And we should rightly ask, why? And that makes us look more deeply into the importance of of what happened in Acts 10, because here in Acts 11, Peter recounts it yet again. And if we've been reading the letter, did we really need to hear it again? We just heard it. 
So there's something to this that's so significant. He'll even refer to it again in chapter 15. There's still a raging debate happening amongst the Jews as to the Gentiles. And in Acts 15, verse 7, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of God and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So why is this such a significant, pivotal, ground-breaking, and rightly, wall-breaking moment? Because up until Acts 10, there was a division between Jewish Christians and Gentiles, non-Jews. Jewish Christians certainly believed that Jesus was the only way of salvation by his name alone. But Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So to receive him, if you were a Gentile, you must first become a Jew and then put your faith into Jesus to be saved. There was a dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Paul would later write on it in Ephesians 2 and call it a dividing wall of hostility. To become Jewish, at least primarily if you were male, meant being circumcised, it meant observing the ceremonial laws, including keeping kosher, which is the main emphasis of this passage, and keeping the Sabbath and its regulations. That was at minimum what required to become a Jewish proselyte, if you were a Gentile. So Acts 10 is wall-breaking because God reveals to Peter in a vision that his declaration of what he had already proclaimed, what he should have already known, that Gentiles were clean in his eyes. Gentiles were acceptable because of what Christ had done. They didn't need to obey the law or keep kosher to then receive Jesus. And so Peter receives this vision in Acts 10 three times, which we heard recounted by him yet again, that God is declaring Gentiles clean. What God has declared clean, don't call unclean. Peter should have already known this, right? Without, without needing to see the vision three times, Jesus was already quite clear on this heartbeat of the gospel for all peoples. As we quoted both of these Reference both of these verses earlier. Matthew 28, 19 and Acts 1, 8. Christ's great commission very clearly calls to all peoples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There's no division. There's no restriction. And clearly Acts 1, 8 witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Caesarea was in Judea. Caesarea was the Roman capital of the province. So Jews weren't too fond of Caesarea. It represented Rome's oppression of them. So they would avoid it at all costs. Peter was avoiding Caesarea. While he was visiting the believers, he wasn't planning to go to Caesarea. Jesus showed up, gave him a vision, and said, Hightail it to Caesarea. Go with the men who are coming for you. I've got a mission. I've got to open up your eyes to see the walls that still remain. So why are the walls still built between Jews and Gentiles when Jesus has been so clear? It's difficult to share the gospel with someone that you won't share a meal with. 
in that division is segregation, is implicit bias, and is separation. But even before the commands and the commissions that Jesus gives, he's already taught on food to his disciples. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 7, verse 14, and likely much of Mark was inspired by Peter and Peter's own testimony. So in Mark 7, verse 14, here, 14 here, and following, here's a recounting of Jesus already teaching that all foods are clean. Hear me, he says, all of you, understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Verse 18, and he said to them, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and then is expelled? Parentheses, thus he declared all foods clean. This gospel was still being written at the time that Peter saw the vision. And I wonder if Peter was the one recounting this later to Mark to record, and that parentheses is Peter's own words. He had already declared all foods clean. See, Peter's eyes were being opened to what he did not see, to his own implicit bias, to his blind spots, to his own pride, that these walls still remained. The early church leaders joined him in this. Maybe they hadn't built the walls. They were just trying to follow in faith what they've always known, living in obedience, following kosher diet. But they certainly hadn't done very much, if anything, to break them down. But Jesus is in the business of conviction that leads to conversion, and Peter needed the business again. So it's evident that Peter is cut to the heart, and he responds with humility in this moment and obedience. And we see that demonstrated in both his actions and his words. What we read last week in in chapter 10, these three men that Cornelius sent to find Peter and bring him to Caesarea, Peter responds to by inviting them into his home, and then he travels with them to Caesarea, rather than saying, you go ahead and I will follow, which would have kept the division to commune together, to eat together, and to fellowship together. So we might just brush right past that in our reading, but that is a huge gospel win. It's a huge moment. Peter invites these Romans into his home to stay with him. He shows hospitality to them. And then he goes and travels with them to Caesarea, right, to Cornelius' home, where he then comes into the home, eats with them. He preaches a powerful message. But even before that message where he preaches, and I'll recount that slightly here in a moment, we see in his words in Acts 10.25, when he comes into the home, Cornelius fell down at his feet and began to worship Peter. What does Peter say? Stand up, I too am but a man. Now, of course, Peter's not going to receive worship, right? He had that one down. He has the lordship of Christ down, But what he's saying is a powerful, significant statement when we consider who he's saying it to. This man, Cornelius, is a God-fearer, which means he's, he's pursuing Yahweh. He's trying to know. He's trying to seek truth. Pagan religion has, is empty to him. So he's respectable even amongst the Jewish community. But yet he is a Roman, and not only a Roman, but a centurion, which means he is working for the emperor, 
he brings and represents oppression to the Jews. And so what Peter is saying to Cornelius is, I am but a man like you. We are on even footing because of what Jesus has done. And he alone is the reason that I'm here in your home. Breaking down these walls of division because Jesus already has. Paul would later write on this, as I referred to in Ephesians 2. Speaking of the the Jew and the Gentile, he says this, verse 14. For he himself, Christ, is our peace who has made us both one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace, and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. It's already been done. It's been finished in Christ. And yet at this point in that history, there was still a dividing wall. Peter and the early church allowed it to remain, perhaps out of their ignorance, but now their eye, Peter's eyes are being opened, and soon that will spread through the Jewish Christian community. Paul would go on to say in Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, this kind of a synonymous term for Gentile and non a non-Jew, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you too are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. You receive everything that God has always promised for his people. You become one in Christ. That's what he's proclaiming. It's a powerful, groundbreaking, wall-shattering Declaration that's being emphasized through the vision and now the ministry and preaching of Peter. I think this sermon that Peter preached that day in Cornelius' home was probably the closest to Christ's heart to date that he, that he was. As he was growing in humility to understand Christ's heart for all peoples. And some of the things he said that we looked at last week, so I'll just highlight them are so pivotal and so significant for us, and maybe even, as we said last week, the reason that we can sit here today. That's how significant it was. Had Peter said no and not gone to Caesarea, at minimum, the whole story is very different. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand now. It's like, truly, I see. I was blind, but now I see. It's like Saul's scales fell off of his eyes he needed to be blinded in order to see spiritually it's almost like the same thing is happening to peter i truly understand god now that god shows no partiality but that in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him jesus is lord of all to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes and receive in him receives forgiveness through his name. And then we know what happened next. The Holy, uh, Peter declares, the Holy Spirit is poured out in power. With very similar language, Luke uses to the first Pentecost event that came upon those Jewish believers in Jerusalem. A very similar thing is coming to Cornelius' home 
amongst Gentile Roman citizens. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon them, emphasizing exactly what God had declared. Because of Jesus, they too are righteous. They do not need to first follow the law and become kosher or circumcised to receive me. I am pouring out my spirit upon them also. And those who criticized Peter, even Peter wasn't without criticism, though he was the head of the church, but in Jerusalem he came and he was, he was criticized for going to Cornelius' home and eating with those unclean sinners. You associated with them? Have you ever been accused of something similar? No, maybe not with words, but with behavior, or with look, that you would, you would hang out with them? Well, what does that mean? I, I, thought, I thought you were righteous. And Peter is receiving the same for going into his home and for breaking kosher. But now, after they hear this testimony, corroborated by these six witnesses who went with Peter and saw the very same thing, all declared it, those who criticized were speechless. Now, that wouldn't be the end of the matter. Some still struggled with it. But in that moment, they have nothing more to say. The Holy Spirit has been poured out in power. He's confirming all the ministry of Jesus. He's reminding us everything that Jesus said. All nations, whosoever believes, anyone who hungers and thirsts who comes to me. Jew and Gentile alike. They didn't first need to be Jewish. They first needed to do what everyone else needed to do. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ alone. And so be saved. From that moment, the culture of the early church is radically and forever changed. This was truly a culture-changing, culture-shaping moment for the church. So I had a little fun with that title. I don't know if you read it, but changing culture. It was descriptive of what we're looking at, but now let's make it prescriptive because we are called to the same ministry, to be culture changers to build one culture a jesus culture in whatever place we find ourselves living or planted in but first we need to do the work to see ourselves in the same with the same blind spots the same kind of pride or implicit bias that peter in the early church had and it's amazing to me that we can have those blind spots that we too can believe that we are a little closer to Jesus than others are. That, you know, we, we've learned a little bit more, studied a little bit harder, experienced a, a little bit more. And if others would soon come to do what we have done or see what we have seen, then they too would look more like us. And maybe we should help them. It's amazing that we can feel or think these things and even say them when we are the Gentiles. We are the orphans adopted into God's family. We are the dogs that get the scraps that fall off the table. Almost exclusively, those in this room don't have a Jewish heritage. I know there's a few. You have your own issues. But we've got big ones, and we like to see ourselves as a little more chosen. 
And for some, we need to repent of that pride and of those blinders and the way we have responded by building walls or allowing them to remain. At best, if we could say at best, we are like Cornelius, religious, respectable, but on the outside looking in with no hope of access apart from the grace of God. We tried to see ourselves as the Ethiopian eunuch. At best, someone seeking God, but finding that we can only get so close. We are not allowed in, and there's nothing we could do. There's nothing We can't change who we are, and we have no access to God without someone else breaking down that wall and inviting us in. We try to see ourselves as the Samaritans, those divided and apart, that God loved and pursued so much that we would have access to the hope of the gospel and to his incredible grace and love. We are the lost, the last, and the least. So how is it that we can continue to build walls or at minimum allow them to remain when God has broken them down and declared it again and again? When God has pursued us with his reckless love and saved us. How is it? Because pride is sneaky and subtle and stubborn. And I guess pride doesn't discriminate. It lives in every heart just the same. If we are going to be culture changers, which is what Jesus did then we need to grow in maybe one thing above all others, and that's humility. Now, truly, we need to grow in repentance. We need to grow in faith. We need to grow in love. And Paul says we need to grow up in every way into Christ. So that list would go on and on and on. Now, why would humility be at the top of that list? Because without humility, we won't truly see the reality and the reach of our sin and therefore repent of it. Without humility, we won't be convicted of how much our faith must grow. Without humility, we won't see or know how truly far we are from the heart of God and be able to love like him. Without humility, we won't even see the walls that exist, either the ones we've built or the ones we allow to remain. So I have an exercise for us, a few pictures, perhaps you've, you've seen these, and I recognize that this will be less than ideal if you are listening to this online. And so I encourage you who are listening online, get to church. <laughs> That's supposed to be ironic pastor humor and a sermon on humility and grace. So I'll say again, we love you, we miss you, and I'm sorry this won't work for you online that well. But it's a picture, picture one, go ahead, Josh, it's a picture of a wall and people on the other side of a wall. And if you've seen the picture online or pictures like this, there's a game happening on the other side and these, these three are trying to see the game. First, do we have an awareness that there is a wall? And that's hard. We talked about that last week. If I said, where are your blind spots? Well, that there's a reason they're called blind spots. How can you answer that? We need others to help us see them. And so first we ask, Lord, give us awareness. It took a vision three times for Peter. It's a pretty significant event. Maybe we need events like that. 
to even see walls that exist between, between peoples. And no, not everyone on the other side of a wall is trying to look in or see in. Many are happy with the wall and doing their own thing or have become accustomed to the wall or want no part of what's on the other side of the wall. But if we are unaware of walls, then we are unaware of who is on the other side. We do not see them. And we do not know who's desiring to know more, to see more. And the question is, if we're not aware, do we even care? Cornelius was one of these. On the outside, wanting to see in. Wanting access. Dissatisfied with where he was. But came up against a wall that he could not measure up to or see over. And without Peter's eyes being open, Cornelius remains on the outside. Religious, respectable, but lost and divided. So Lord, help us become aware of the walls. The walls that have been built or are being supported by implicit bias that we may even be blind to. If we become aware, then perhaps we move toward work of equality. And many do, and it's a good step. So picture number two, Josh. Equality is a work that sees a wall, wants to do something about it, and so provides a solution. In this case, it lowers the wall. Saw it, it lowers it, sees that others are divided by it, and offers a resource equal to all for an opportunity. And many say, great, good, look at us. Look what we've done. We are loving, and we stop there. But not all are still able to see because we haven't gone far enough because we still don't truly see them. We fall short of working toward equity. And many then take a step to work toward equity. Picture three, Josh. Equity sees the wall, does something about it for for all who might be on the other side, but also goes further and says, I see you in your need. I see you in your shortcoming. How can I redistribute resources that all now can see? And many say, good, and we stop there. Look what we've done. Look at us. Look how loving we are. But a wall remains, and we allow it to remain. Changing culture is picture four. Changing culture says, what if we work to remove the wall altogether? To break it down, to create access to all. Regardless of who you are or what you've done or who you aren't or what you haven't done, isn't this what Jesus did? Yes, but even Jesus went further. But first, let me ask you, let me go after your heart. Who, who are you in these pictures? I mean, did you even see yourself in the pictures? I would guess for most of us in this exercise, we're beyond the picture. We are thinking through a lens or a filter, which it represents our heart, that we have the resources or the ability to do something about the wall. We could provide 
we can at least provide the boxes for people to see. We can work toward not just equality, but equity. Then we would be like Peter. I have something that you need. Let me tell you what that is. Even let me show you the way and help you to grow. That's where Peter was. If he was aware of the wall, which I think he was, as they they weren't ignorant of Jesus' call. I think they just didn't know what to do about it. But they let the wall remain. But if we see ourselves as the resource holders, the wall breakers, and perhaps that's true, but just recognize that it is privilege and recognize that it comes with great responsibility. I hope we do look beyond band-aids or symptoms and we do work toward changing systems. It's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to bring freedom to all peoples that we are called and commissioned for. I challenged us last week to see, begin to see walls that exist in different places in our lives. And I used the common one of our neighborhoods. And I asked you to draw your house or your home as a square on a piece of paper. If you weren't here, you could do it again or just be reminded of that. And then draw by square representing the four closest neighbors by proximity to you, whether that's a single family dwelling or an apartment or a condo or a dormitory. Who are the four closest? And what are their names? Who lives in that dwelling? Kids concluded. Where do they work? Or if they're retired, where did they work? What was their career? And the big question was, have they been to your table for a meal? And I know for many, it was both convicting and eye-opening that there are walls that remain. Now, maybe we haven't built those walls. And as I said, if you're in a more traditional neighborhood in our area like we are, then it might mean Mormon, Buddhist, agnostic, Muslim. Walls remain. What are we doing to break them down? And you may not preach the gospel with words at your table, but you will with your life. See, what Peter and the early church couldn't do or wouldn't do because they were under regulation was open their table to all peoples. There was a wall. We have the ability and the call and the commission of Jesus to break bread with all peoples. And it may be one of, it's a significant first step at least, to break down walls that may exist between us. And that's just one place and one example. And I heard from a number of you that felt both convicted and encouraged, which I think is the work of the Spirit when both of those work together, to do something about that even this summer if possible. Or even around your patio or a barbecue or just begin to reach, to know, to say, I see you. Right now, I would challenge us to see ourselves in these pictures. Because truly, every one of us has been on the outside looking into the kingdom of God. We are the last, the lost, and the least. Paul said we are excluded without hope and without God. We should see ourselves as one 
trying to see in, like a Cornelius or the Ethiopian eunuch. Our best efforts, no matter how religious or how respectable, like Cornelius, would and will always fall short. We need and we needed and we need someone else to see the wall and break it down. That is our only hope. And we need to be reminded of this that we can grow in humility. That we can say, like Peter said, I am no different. We're on the same footing because of what Jesus has done. I, I need the grace and mercy of God as much as everyone else. I need to keep repenting of my sin. I need to keep seeing Jesus more and more. I need to keep believing in who God is, what he has said, and what he's promised for the future. I need to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's one more question. Did anyone see themselves in the game? Is anyone playing ball? Of course not. This is Seattle. Who, no one wants to play baseball. If we're going to make this a gospel analogy, which admittedly is a stretch, then this may be the most amazing part. Jesus went further than just seeing the wall and seeing oppression and seeing alienation and breaking it down through the breaking of his own body and the shedding of his own blood. He goes further and invites us in to the game. Well, it's much more than a game. He invites us into the kingdom through him. Come, come play. And many of us hesitate. No, no, no. Oh, thank you for breaking down the wall, but no, one, no one's here to see me play, and, and I'm not equipped. I couldn't do that. Oh, leave that. Leave that to the professionals. Everyone will just be better off. And that's not the way of Jesus. He says, come one, come all. The, the, the disciples said something very similar when the children were flocking to Jesus. Hey, hey, kid, no, no, no. There, no one's here to see you running around and distracting. Jesus is the one we're here for. Get away. What did Jesus say? Hey, he rebuked them. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. My kingdom is open for all who want in because they want me. And by the way, these kids get it more than you do. He says something very similar if we're stretching this analogy. The wall is broken in me. Come play, all who want in, both into the kingdom, finding life and joy in me, growing in me. I'll, t I'll teach you. I'll teach you how. But you're going to find out by playing. And you will be my witnesses. Wherever culture divides, marginalizes, alienates, you will be my witnesses and preachers of me. No, no, no. Don't go about making people look more like you and following your traditions. Point them to me. Make them look more like Jesus and learn to follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I suppose that's a good place to pray in response. So Catherine and team, why don't you come and prepare to lead us? I wrote out this prayer and maybe I'll add some words to it. Lord Jesus, we want to be more like you. We want to look more like you. Show us more of you that we might grow in our faith. Help us to see more of ourselves that we might grow in humility. Help us to see the broken and the hurting. Help us to see the walls that remain. Take off the scales 
of our eyes and help us to see like you showed Peter. Both your love, your grace, and your mercy for him. You restored, redeemed, loved, pursued him. And sent him to the last, the lost, and the least on equal ground. Give us the same eyes. Give us the same heart. Grow us in your love, Lord. And help us never build walls, but work with you to build your kingdom here and now, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our wall breaker, kingdom builder. Amen.